everybody. You're listening to The New Leaf Project, a story, an ongoing story about Canadian starters and planters. Uh, and I've got my friend here. Uh, introduce yourself, friend. Hello, my name is Elle. And I'm Jared. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, that was a, that was an awkward intro because we I kind of stumbled over that because I was supposed to say, hello, my name's Jared, and then you say Elle. And then, anyway. I, I think we can still recover because we got such a great episode today that really yes. how we start things is not really all that important because that's not why people are tuned in. They're here because we have the author of The Bees of Rainbow Falls. I think it's a brilliant book on being the church in a neighborhood. And I can safely say that Preston Puto is one of the most thoughtful uh uh, folks out there in the Canadian context, thinking through life as a Canadian. He lives in a little town just outside of Calgary. It's a sleeper, a bedroom community, lots of those in Canada. So lots of us know what that is like. Um, now, not me, because I live in the big city of Saskatoon um, and I don't live in a bedroom community. Um but you do, Elle. Like Kitchener-Waterloo is a bedroom community for the GTA, is it not? Most people, they, they sleep there and then they drive into work uh, in, the, in the GTA. Um, what's life like that? Like what, how, how, do you, how do you find that world, the commuter world? Is it easy to be a neighbor? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if everyone in my neighborhood's commuting all the way into the GTA, but you are correct. I would say there's lots of people that don't certainly don't work in this in this city, uh, for sure. So it's uh, you often people uh, will drive into their garage at the end of the day and close it and go in their home, and I don't see them except for sometimes on weekends. And I feel very lucky I have a dog because if I if I didn't have a dog, I'm not sure I would see very many of my neighbors. So for sure, I, I would say that I can I can resonate with that. Well, what I love is when uh, our contributors tackle some of the more challenging aspects. And that sounds like it would be challenging to be on mission in a neighborhood like that. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's give this episode a spin. This is you and Preston sitting down and talking about the bees of Rainbow Falls. So check it out, friends. So today we have with us Preston Puto. This is a, a voice that you may have heard on the New Leaf podcast before because you interviewed a number of people a while back. I did. I did. Yes, it's a pleasure to be back, Al. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, and so now we get to talk with you about this great book that you have written um, and just talk about some of the work that you're doing in general. And so let's let's converse. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me about Chestamere. I, I have to admit, I know very little about Chestamere. Yeah, Chestamere. Uh, a lot of people have if you've driven in Southern Alberta, you've driven past Chestermere. People drive on the number one highway and they pass by and they see a few suburban-like homes lining the, the number one highway there and they pass by and go, oh, that's a piece of suburbia. And they're right. Uh, Chestermere is about 10 minutes east of Calgary and it is uh, started out as just a few homes around a lake, which the lake is really just kind of a catchment for the irrigation district. And so, you know, we will turn any a bit of water and officially call it a lake around here but it's a beautiful it's it's a beautiful lake and people started to, to live around it uh, and when they designed the city they didn't actually design it for uh for more people to live around it it was just the residents around the lake 
done. It was just a little hamlet, a village, really. Okay. Uh, until things started to grow and people started to build more houses and more. And so now up to 22,000 people here. And it's families and almost everybody's new. And we didn't really think about how to make a city center in the way that other cities might. It's kind of mostly just a whole bunch of houses. Uh, but that's 22,000 people that are living together and uh, have moved here with the dream of living the good life. And we're discovering together what the good life means. And that's, that's really, and that's been a beautiful thing for us. That's amazing. So how are you closer to Calgary or Edmonton then with Chestermere? Oh, sorry. We're just 10 minutes outside of Calgary, just about just 10 minutes east. And so, yeah, we're just, a. Uh, so a lot of people live and work or work and play in, in, in Calgary, but we're starting to see more and more businesses flourish here and try to um, try to say, yeah, how do we turn this into a, you know, proper city with, with all the economic and, and fun and business things that, that you would hope a thriving city would look like. That's great. So why did you move to Chestermere or were you always from that area? Well, you know what? East of Calgary, um, I was here since I was a little boy, really. Uh, we moved from Saskatchewan to another city east of Chestermere, or east of Calgary, called Strathmore. And so we were in Strathmore, and then I went away and studied and came back to another town east of Calgary called Langdon. And so our family had helped plant a church in uh, Strathmore, and I had helped plant a church in Langdon, and now we're planting this church here in Chestermere. So these three little communities east of Calgary, they're kind of overlooked. Uh, most people want to live near the mountains or someplace. And these are just kind of three little communities that are growing. And uh, between them all, there's there's maybe about 40 or 50,000 people. And these are people that that I, I think that they are my people. I speak their language. I love them. I love the story going on here. I know, I know the ups and downs of what's going on in the church and in our communities and the politics of it all, all of these things. This is my place. And so uh, I love it a great deal, even though when I left it, I said, I'll never come back because <laughs> that's what you say when you're 18 and you're going to go and experience the rest of the world. So, <laughs> Right. But you found yourself right back east of Calgary. <laughs> How does that happen? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about your church plant then. Is that that's predominantly why you, you came to that city was to plant the church that. You're yeah, in right exactly. Uh, yeah, we had we had planted this this church. Uh, my uh, my my good friend, Evan DeWald, had had planted this church along with a few others and uh, uh, out of the church from Strathmore. And when it planted here, uh, a number of people were driving from Strathmore. And one thing he did right out of the gate, which I think was, was very good. He said, uh, if you're going to come and be a part of this, you should really live here. We are about this place and loving this, this community. And in a world that's all about a lot of commuting and a lot of travel, uh, we just kind of wanted that as kind of a foundational piece. And so five families, initially moved from Strathmore, the church that I grew up in, and moved here to Chestermere, and they just lived in the city. And the sense of moving into the neighborhood for them became very, very important. And I don't think that they knew what they were doing when they initially did that. But to have even five, six families commit to a place in a world that really doesn't value place very much, this was tremendously countercultural. People were saying, wait, you moved here? Because you want to love our city, you moved here be, because of this. And so, about, about a year later, they invited me to move here too, mm. uh, from one town over Lang Langdon. And they said, "Hey, this this church is is growing. We're trying to think through some things." And they invited me to be a second pastor here. And so, so that's where I've been the last five or six years, and it's just been quite a beautiful journey to love this this place well. And and out of all of that came the bees of Rainbow Falls. Is that 
<laughs> yeah, I would have thought too. Uh, we just just even last week we had a meeting with our B City initiative. Uh, we are Western Canada's first B City, uh, which is this huge um, uh, North American initiative to create cities that are pearl pollinator. Mm. Who'd have thought Chestermere would be that? Because a few years ago when I moved here, bees were illegal. It was bees you could were, not have them. The, bees the, were illegal the bees in your. Were, what? They're illegal. Yes, yes. You could not have bees in our city because they were and under some bio, some archaic bylaw didn't allow bees. And so when we moved here, we were very avid gardeners, and people said you can't grow anything in Chestermere. The soil's hard. Mm. Uh, the water's bad. People would have all of these things. We're and and we were going to grow a big garden. But when we moved here, we realized just looking around, these are you know this is brand new suburbia. They kind of like strip everything away, and of course there aren't any bugs when you build something new. No. Nothing's established. They've taken away any, 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 any soil or any of that stuff. And so we came here, one of the first things we said, even before we really got talking about church planting and you know, some massive grand strategy, we said, well, the first thing we have to do is bring back the pollinators. We have to, mm. we have to do the very base level work to create a thriving community. And that involves talking about green things. It involves talking about flowering things. And I think that that might have surprised a number of people here because they're going, Wait, church plants. People would say, "Why well, are you building a building? Are you making some grand edifice or some grand institution?" And, and we're talking about kids' soapbox derbies and beekeeping. And I think it kind of mystified people. Um, but there had been about five or six different church plants attempt in our city, and they said hard soil. You know, from a spiritual sense, we like mm-hmm. to really over spiritualize things. But they said hard soil. You can't plant anything in Chestermere. And we said, "No, I think we we can." Uh, these. I think the people of Chestermere would very much be interested in, in the story of Jesus and how the story of Jesus relates to, to their own story. Um, but we need to talk about some base level stuff and that's how we bring life to our place first. And so we started, uh, we changed some of the laws, but not by marching on town hall. We changed laws by talking to kids about bees. And so we talked to, to we, 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 had, we had a whole bunch of bee disciples around town. I speak to about 400 kids a year about bees and, uh, and they were the ones that actually said, hey, bees are, are important. And they talked to the mayor and they made these like little crayon notes to the mayor, which she thought were quite endearing. And the city changed laws and then we became a bee city. And now we have an entire teams of people, organizations that are all about making new gardens and spaces and edible gardens and welcoming people. And it's just been quite a, quite a profound journey for us. Yeah. That's amazing. So you so you became a beekeeper by just showing up in this place and realizing that it really needed some bees, or did you have a well, background I, in it previously? Yeah, I had I had done bees uh, in 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 a previous town that that I had I had come from. And when I left, here's the interesting thing: when I, when I left Langdon, we had helped start a church there. When I left Langdon to come and be a part of this church plant here. Uh, realized these are all towns really 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 close to each other. But we moved nine kilometers down the road. And when I left, my neighbors in Langdon, they weren't so sad that I was gone. They were sad that the bees were gone. Uh, one of our neighbors said, oh, don't take the bees. They have helped my raspberries grow because she made raspberry vodka, which was very delicious. And then my other neighbor, he, he had apple trees that weren't able to produce much apples until we had bees. And he said, oh, don't, don't leave. Your bees have made my apples flourish. When I left there to plant this church here along with Evan and this group, uh, I was, I, I had this kind of epiphany moment, which, which sparked this book. I had this epiphany moment to say, it's interesting how people were very sad that my bees were leaving my place because they could see the fruit of my bees. Uh, 
but were they sad that I was leaving? Because have I done something in my place to make it fruitful, to make it come alive? And so, uh, so this, this first book, The Bees of Rainbow Falls, was kind of talking about my experience exploring this kind of through the lens of the pollinator. What is it to pay attention to something small and beautiful and have our imaginations attuned to it? The next book that I'm working on now is kind of paying more attention to the fruit. How, what does a fruitful neighborist look like in a place? How do, we, how do we live a lifestyle in such a way that we get our joy and our meaning and our purpose from helping our neighborhoods flourish and be fruitful? And so, uh, so these, these, these two books, one that I've written and the next one that's in the works, they're kind of going to go side by side to each other, I think, and really paint a picture of how we can go from something so small as pollinating a place, paying attention to the small things, to creating a fruitful place where people are really excited to be living there together. That's awesome. I have to admit, Preston, I know very little about bees. And I have a sense that there might be other people <laughs> listening to the podcast that feel the okay. same way. So I love the analogy of these like keystone yeah. species and all this stuff. But can you can you tell me a little bit about how bees work in in general. Oh, you are you are opening you are opening Pandora's box here. You are asking me to talk about bees. Is is this podcast long enough? Are we going to be able to so. have multiple make, versions? Of, okay, we can make space for bees. <laughs> okay, okay, awesome. Let let's just tell you what happened right now in my apiary this this week. All winter long, my bees, uh, the queen bee lays bees that are winter bees. These are bees that are are only alive during their winter season. They never get to taste a flower. They never really get to even fly. They spend their whole winter inside the beehive. I would try to keep things warm, try to keep the queen alive. Hmm. They all die out right about now. And she lays eggs for a new generation of bees that are coming out. This occurred to me a few years ago when I was sitting there in the dead of winter. It was so cold. There was snow stack time. My beehives were totally buried. And, and it dawned on me that my bees are all alive in there. They are fully equipped to be bees. They're fully equipped with the eyes, with the taste for for flowers with little wings and the ability to go and pollinate and create a beautiful world but they're totally in lockdown mode they're totally they're totally um in darkness and they're cold and there's this new generation of bees coming out with the same equipment but they're able to go out into the world and they help everything flourish bees move around from flower to flower and it's that pollination process that actually makes everything come to life. They're vital. Hmm. You can't really have plants without pollinators. And bees of different kinds are important pollinators. And so it really occurred to me in the process of this, I'm like, am I a winter bee? Am I a spring bee? Am I a bee that has all the equipment to do good in this world, uh, empowered by God's spirit to do beautiful things? But am I just waiting it out? Or am I equipped with all these great things to do the things that Jesus did, to do the things that the wonderful saints of church history and of uh, the world have, have done. And so the bees have really been this beautiful analogy as they move around. They, 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 they create this beautiful home. I have about in the height of summer, I have about 100, 120,000 bees in my backyard. And they are able to cover most of Chestermere and pollinate it. They, they, they work long hours and they do bring home nectar, which turns into honey, but it's really the pollination that I'm, that I'm interested in. And throughout my old neighborhood, all of the flowering plants now produce, they're growing, uh, they're making fruit for people to enjoy, and they are, they are really quite, quite amazing creatures. I could talk a long, a long time about them. 
So do you do you do you wrap your bees with a winter coat in the in the winter? Do you wrap you the do. hive? Do you put a toque on on that little hive or? Yeah, yeah, you do. Bees are really fragile. Uh, if 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 um uh you know uh, fruit flies or uh, those 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 little black flies have a really a a a really high um uh immune system so you know flies can go around and be exposed to all sorts of garbage and they just continue to carry on bees have a really really small low immune system that's why they have to live together they have to keep each other clean they have to care for each other they if if there's pests then they work together to keep each other clean and bees really have to be home by the end of the night because that's their family and if they aren't part of this community then they don't thrive or survive and so uh beekeepers we work to keep our hives healthy bees do do their own thing i'm a beekeeper not a bee owner um i just i just created a healthy space for these bees to thrive so i wrap them in the winter time try to keep them warm a lot of beekeepers lost a lot of bees this this year because the winter was just so 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 cold mm -hmm. my bees very happily made it made it through and i'm very grateful for that and they are out and looking for flowers even today as as we speak so where do you get bees from like when you start did you have to buy you them get bees yeah yeah uh now now a lot of us in our little kind of honeybee society we'll we'll move bees around so somebody has lost bees and I might be able to take my bees and split them into two and, and multiply them. Uh, but the, there's only one place in the world right now where bees are healthy and they're exporting bees, and that's New Zealand. Uh, the rest of the bees around the world deal with all sorts of diseases. So New Zealand ships bees out. So they ship bees in these little boxes. They're just buzzing. They're about two kilograms worth of bees, just a buzzing little box. And they ship them overnight uh, on these big crates, and they ship them around the world. And then we go and pick them up. But but because bees are in decline in a lot of places and the prices of bees have been going up. And so we're really trying to preserve bees. There, there was a time in Canada where just too hard to keep bees over winter. So people just let their bees freeze and they'd go, go south of the border and buy up a bunch of new bees and mm -hmm. it would be great. There's so many diseases in the States now that you can't actually buy bees from the States. They're trying not to allow any of the these bees into Canada. So we're really now really at a bit of a race against time to try to preserve bees as best as, as we can. Wow, you know a lot about bees. <laughs> I I'm really nerdy about bees. Uh, Leo Tolstoy's wife, they had found her diary, and uh, Leo Tolstoy later in his life he went to live among uh, the impoverished. He lived a very simple life. He became a person of much deeper faith, and uh, and he got into beekeeping, all all kind of in the same foul swoop. And they found his wife's diary, and in it she says, "Leo has gotten into bees. He can't talk about nothing but bees." <laughs> If you want to talk to him, you better be ready to hear an earful about bees. And so I think that I'm in pretty good company here talking about bees all day long. And my dear wife has had a lot of patience with me talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> What's some of the surprising things that you've experienced when people have read the book? Because it's a very, very well-written book. And Thank I you. know it's been very well-received. So what's some mm -hmm. of the feedback or some of the surprising things that you've experienced now that the, the book is in the world? Well, it's been in the world for a while now, but... Yeah, yeah, it's been up for for a couple years now, and just I I was gonna just write it as a uh, PDF to give to my neighbors actually, and uh, happily a few things lined up that it that it got published by by Urban Loft Publishing, and uh, yeah, won won an award and has done super super well 
for a little Canadian book about bees and faith in neighborhoods, which is kind of like a weird little niche place for any book to kind of land. Uh, but yeah, this is the interesting thing. I, uh, I don't, I don't, what I've learned from feedback is, is that I write pretty gently uh, about some pretty bold things. And I didn't think that my style was a gentle style, but I'm learning that, that I think the bees and gardening, I think when you're a gardener and you're, and you had your hands down in the dirt, you have a, just a very different posture about what helps something to, to grow. I have a big heart for helping the church in Canada see its neighbor. I think when Jesus said, love God and love neighbor, um, those, those two things were on an equal plane and vital to each other to make sense of each other. And we have whole libraries full of love God, and we have very little actually about love neighbor. And so as a gardener and somebody who has my hands down in the soil, I think that I'm taking a real Jesus posture uh, to work gently, carefully, to talking about some pretty profound things. So uh, that, that's been the best feedback that I've been getting are people saying, you have really kind of challenged me. But I feel loved in being challenged. And, and I think that that's only from, from God that I'm able to, to do that. Because when I see a poor little plant struggling in my garden, I, I give it a lot of attention. And, and you can't do it by running a bulldozer through your garden. You have to, you have to take, take time with it. And I think the church in Canada lead, needs a lot more gardener pastors uh, than uh, factory pastors, uh, industrial pastors. I think gardening is really the metaphor that I'm going to be focusing on for the next while. That's awesome. For people who are just new to this like local place-based neighborhood conversation in the yeah. church world, um, and, and there's a lot of us, um, listening to this can be really encouraging and inspiring. And for people who are thinking about getting their eyes placed a little more in their neighborhoods. What are, what's some advice that you could give or a few things? I know you mentioned in the book about even just walking your neighborhood. Um, and, and so what are some of the tips or hints that you would give to people who are wanting to start to pay more attention? I think the first thing is uh, loving our neighbors cannot be shame-based anymore. Uh, I can't tell you how often I meet a neighbor and I go, oh, they've lived here for a year. If I go up to them and say, Hi, are you new here? Um, they're going to go. No, I'm not new. New here. Thanks for asking. You know, I bumped into you twice already. Uh, and so, what happens, I think, in our neighborhoods is we're nervous to talk to people because we're nervous to be the ones to take the hit. We're nervous to be the ones to say to to be the fool and to walk up and in a world where everybody casts their eyes down to be the, you know. No one wants to be the Ned Flanders who goes over and says, "Hi, how are you doing?" Right? And I think what I'm discovering is, in loving my neighbors, I've not become a Ned Flanders. I have become actually a pretty human person, and it's and it's a human and a Jesus attribute to go up to somebody and say, "Who are you? Can I learn your name? What is your story about? Can I tell you my story?" And in fact, people are people are dying for this kind of engagement. This is the reason why I think people mostly live in neighborhoods. I've met very few people who say, I'm not about getting to know my, my neighbors. Everyone wants to, they just don't really know how. And so I think it's the most natural Jesus spirit posture for us to walk up to somebody and say, hi, and guess what? We don't have to have an agenda. In fact, I'm kind of against having an, an, an agenda. We aren't trying to get people to change their mind on something, we're trying to get people to convert or go to church. What we're trying to do is say, we want to be present here in this place together and because we believe this is what Jesus called us to. He said, love your neighbors. That's, that's, that's the totality of this commandment. And when we do, good things happen. And we discovered that here 
in our neighborhood too. So getting shame and nervousness out of the way, getting a little bit bold and saying, this, this is what we were made to actually be doing. We weren't made to huddle down over winter and stay quiet and closed and just keep the place warm. We were made to get out and create life and do that with all of the equipment that God has given us. And when we do that, we actually become more human. And so I have enjoyed being a pastor in this posture more than I ever did just sitting in my office doing the church program stuff. I, I love being out in my community and meeting people and getting to, to, to know them. So, and the best thing too is to like eat with, with people. Uh, we just, we have a barbecue. It's looking pretty nasty these days because we just use it a lot and we like having neighbors over and we, uh, and we just cook meat and drink things and cook more meat and drink more things. And you do that over and over Drink a lot of cups of, 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 of coffee and something will, will change for sure. That's awesome. When you were thinking about the church in Canada, what are some of the more hopeful things that you have been hearing um, as you've done some travels and, and, and got to share the book and some teaching with people? Uh, what's some of the things that yeah. has been giving you hope? Well, what I've discovered is there are people who want to follow Jesus on almost every street in Canada. Now, they might not feel like they're well-connected because maybe they are on a street somewhere and they drive to a church four kilometers away and their best friend lives across town. And so their daily imagination is full of this vision of saying, I'm way over here. My good Christian friends are way over there. Here's, here's the interesting thing. Every street in Canada has people who are people of peace, allies of Jesus, who God's spirit is working in them. Every single street. Now, I don't think we need to institutionalize this. We just need to have an imagination that's big enough to say, you only need a few people to create beauty in your place. And when I think when I'm traveling across Canada and I'm bumping into people who are like, yeah, I live in this place. I feel this urge to know my neighbors and love them. Could this be connected to my faith? And I'm going, this, this is actually vital to our faith. This is vital to knowing Jesus. In fact, I don't I'm increasingly believing you cannot know God if you aren't loving your neighbors. And that's a really bold statement, but Jesus seemed to make it over and over again. He said, love God and love neighbors. And later on, Paul in Galatians and, and, and other places said, if you love your neighbors, you fulfill the whole law. Meaning even the love God part is secondary to love of neighbor. Because he thinks if you start loving your neighbor, you will, you will figure this all out. You will love God and you will become the people of God. The ecclesia, the church will thrive when you make this your central piece. And so I, I've seen this and I'm seeing the disconnect of people who are in established churches, uh, which I'm in a great established church, uh, but we think that if we just go on Sunday and we serve the, and, and we worship God that we've gotten it all, there's massive dissatisfaction. And, I'm, and I increasingly think it's because we haven't done the other half of it. And so the word that Jesus uses is place in, which the word for neighbor, the near person. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm like wanting to coin a phrase and say, for as much as we talk about theology, we need to talk about placeonology, the study of neighbor. And people go, what's there to study? It's the person over there. And I'm going, oh, there's so much that we can do to talk about uh, what it is to love, love our neighbors. That's awesome. You, you are very well spoken on this topic, my friend. I love it. It just comes bubbling out of you. I, I, I'm deeply passionate about it because I really love our places and church. And, and I really think there's a lot of pieces coming together here. And I think, and I think the, the 
conversation and the context here in Canada is really ripe for us to really make the, the command, uh, this, this command to love God and love neighbor, or just love neighbor, as central to our faith. And I think we're, we're kind of reawakening to something here. And there are, there are thousands of people across our country that are allies on this conversation. And, and I think the best thing that writing this book has done is it's just kind of sh- shaken the bushes and, and helped me find these, these great mm-hmm. people. And so I, I hope, hope to really keep doing that. That's great. You mentioned the next book that you're working on. Um, what are some of the other exciting things that you're up to these days? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I think I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which means I like to like try things, but Welcome. more and more people. Welcome I know, to I know. the sevenness. I don't know many. So hello, fellow friend. I know, I know. I think, I think so. But other people around me say that I might be a three. I just, I, I like to check off boxes too. So I, I'm living in this little, in this Enneagram liminal space, I think. But, um, <laughs> but this is, yeah, I, I, I write a regular column for our local news newspaper. So I think that it's been printed about, oh, about 1.8 million times we have oh, wow. we have printed about neighborhood and it's been and it's changed our community too there's been a lot of amazing stuff happen here because you because you don't need to change the opinions of 51% of the people you really only need like 5% to kind of say yeah this is this is a better way loving neighbors makes a difference i think we have we've reached that that threshold here in in Chestermere and that article has been syndicated to a few other places. And so I get notes from Ontario and different places of folks that are like, I read your article. Uh, So really excited about that. And I think that's a tool. There's a body of work there. I got about 250 articles that I've written so far. And, and I'm learning, this is, this is, this is a bit of a library of some resources that I'm trying to figure out how to share, share that out to other communities that are trying to think, think that through. So uh, I am working on my next book, which is coming to its end. And I got another one, which is, probably more philosophical. So the next one I'm doing is quite accessible and the one after that's going to be quite philosophical. And so I'm kind of trying to chart this out because I think we in Canada need to need to develop our own language. And I think we need to be a little bit more courageous about standing up and saying, hey, there's there's some ways of talking about it that are uni- uniquely Canadian. Not writing to get in, to break into the big market of the States or some other place. I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm trying to say, I care about Canada. I care about the language that the church uses. I think that we're on the cusp of something really important here. So, so feeling the sense of, of, of call towards that here too. So, uh, yeah, excited about just a bunch of cool writing stuff. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, super, super neat. It's amazing. So if people are going to try to connect with you online, where is the best place for them to get a hold of you? You know what? Uh, you just... You just Google. I mean, Google finds everything. I guess you have a pretty uh, are, unique name, are, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do have a pretty unique name, Preston Puto, uh, or type in the Bees of Rainbow Falls. You will you will find me one way or or another. Uh, but that's 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 a big joy about it. Now we don't we don't need to stand up and uh, shine big lights on our work much anymore because people that want to find you f- find you. And I, I think that's that's the joy of being small. Uh, is is you do good good work and uh, and and you start to find allies in it and that's really what I think we're trying to do here in Canada right now. That's awesome, Preston. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I want to encourage everyone to go pick up this book. I read a lot of books on Kindle, but I got to tell you, I'm really glad that I have a physical copy of this one because the artwork <laughs> nice. is just gorgeous and kudos to your designer. I it's really yeah. beautiful and I think that's part of what you're trying to capture and cultivate with the book so good job on the design it's very very that's fantastic nice. yeah yeah shout out to 
Roberta Landreth, she actually won a Juno Award for an L for Steve Bell's de design of, of his box set work. And uh, so I uh, just really, really grateful that she agreed. She is, she is now big and famous and, uh, and I really hope she will do the cover for my next book, but uh, anybody that can work with Roberta Landreth will have done it, done, done a good thing. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, thanks for your time, Preston. And thanks Thank for you. helping us to reimagine what it means to love our neighbor in our neighborhood and in our place. And I was really encouraged by this book and, and I know that people who pick it up will be as well. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Bless you all. Bye. All right. That was our very own Michelle Pike, not Ellie Pike, sometimes L Pike. Let's get it straight folks. Not Ellie yep. Pike. No. Michelle Pike sitting down with our really great friend, Preston Puto talking about yes. the bees of Rainbow Falls. Elle, uh, what were some takeaways uh, for you from that interview? Well, I really enjoyed interviewing Preston. I love, I, I have to admit, I know nothing about bees um, other than I run away from them in the summer <laughs> because I was stung once and it didn't go well. Well, uh, I mean, what I find fascinating is that Preston was able to take sort of common everyday stuff like a bee and help us think more meaningfully about our role uh, in the neighborhood, especially this concept of a keystone species. So you heard a lot about bees in that episode. Maybe it wasn't what you were expecting, although we did say it was the bees of Rainbow Falls. We got the, we got the title right. Correct. And, and Preston did not disappoint on the level of bee bee-related conversation. Absolutely. But beyond uh, terrifying bees uh, uh, in the middle of the summer, what were some of the things that, that made, that stood out to you? Sure. I when it, the, the analogy that he's using of, of bees being that important thing in your, in your neighborhood and what that, what that brought, the life that that brought to his neighborhood and that idea that we are to to do that in our neighborhoods as Christ followers um, is great. The book goes into all sorts of ideas of how you can do that. One of my favorite quotes in his book, um, it says, at the core of this book is a desire to change the way we see our neighbors. Inherent in our neighbors is a beauty that many do not see. We truly need to be the vital and attentive people who are reshaping our own ability to see what few others do. How do we make the invisible beauty in our neighborhoods beautiful to all and visible to all? So, I mean, this book is very well written. Um, Preston is a very great speaker, but I think that idea of slow, slowing down, being present in your neighborhood, helping other people see the value in their neighbors, connecting with others. It's a very, uh, the book, I highly recommend the book. It's excellent and so well written, but I think the sentiments are very, I mean, he's a church planter. We talk about his church plant um, and how they're in the neighborhood, but I think that idea of slowing down and actually seeing your neighborhood, walking your neighborhood, being present, um, those are things that I have to confess I, I so often don't do. I mean, like I said, I, ha I have a dog, so that helps me. But I have to admit, a lot of times when I'm walking my dog, I have like my headphones on, I'm listening to a podcast. I'm not being as present and attentive to the beautiful things in my neighborhood. And I often don't think my neighborhood is very beautiful. Um, and that that's it, that reorientation of seeing your neighbors in a different light um, is really a really helpful takeaway from that uh, the book and the interview. So Al, I, re I know that you 
are dying to talk about your dog in more in depth. <laughs> uh, maybe we could do that um, in another episode because actually we have, we're, we're amassing a, I'm, I'm not going to, we're not going to play it in this episode, but we are amassing a blooper reel of the number of times that Bailey has tried to be on the podcast. It's true. Um, it's true. But it's you know, true. it's funny because you, you, you know, you have a dog and that's what helps you connect to the neighborhood. And, uh, like I, I don't have any pets here, but I, I, when I had, uh, two young boys, um, always being outside, going for walks and things like that, connecting with the public school. That was a very natural in yep. that I had to my neighborhood as well. And there's lots of us with different life stages, different skills. And, uh, and, and if you think about it in the right light, there are things that you have in your life right now that can help you connect. Now, my boys are grown up. Uh, their high schools are outside the neighborhood. I, it's not as easy a way for me to connect to my neighbors uh, as as I once had. But there's lots of other ways that I get involved and, mm -hmm. and I'm able to stay connected to, to life in my city. So I'm really grateful for this episode. I think it was great. I, I love having Preston uh, on the podcast. He's, he's contributed in the past. He's written for us. Um, but if folks want to connect and go deeper with this story, Elle, uh, how do they get their hands on a copy of The Bees of Rainbow Falls? I believe that you can buy a copy of The Bees of Rainbow Falls where all good and fine books are sold. So yes. probably on, on Amazon. Um, maybe even in your local chapters or Indigo. Um, we certainly sell them at events. They're great sellers at some our, our New Leaf events. Um, yeah. But I think that would probably be be the easiest way to uh, to to find his work. That would be one of my favorite ways uh, for anyone to pick up a copy uh, because that would mean that we got the chance to hang out. Yeah, absolutely. I just love I just love what he's doing. I, you know, I don't know if Preston said this during the interview or afterward but he's certainly getting lots of opportunities to speak and share about this important work that he's doing in the book he's written but he, he mentioned to me that he always tries to speak when he's speaking at events he always tries to come sharing a new and fresh story from his neighborhood um not stories from years gone past but something that actually happened in the last few weeks or month and I think one of the things I love about Preston is that he is living out this reality he's he's a practitioner who's actually sharing the things thoughtfully sharing and beautifully sharing the things that he's actually experiencing and I think that's why I probably resonated with this book so much and loved it so much is because these are our stories and things that he's actually doing and I think that's a a real key thing for us at New Leaf, we want to highlight the voices of practitioners, and I think we certainly try to, of people who are doing this work, because you learn things when you're trying and doing different things day in and day out, and uh, it's it's really great to grab him on the podcast. So I really want to encourage people to pick up that book. Um, it's worth the read, and uh, connect in with Preston. He's a good guy. Yeah, uh, Preston, if you can't tell, we're big fans of yours. We I hope we didn't <laughs> overdo it here. Um, but we really do uh, love uh, Preston's voice and and the way that he uh, conducts himself, the consistency uh, and the skill that he brings to yep. this uh, conversation. So, El, sure. if if people want to, uh, you know, watch the ongoing saga of two uh, Preston Puto fans, if they want to stay connected in 
to uh, the New Leaf story as it unfolds? How would they stay up to date with what's going on with us? Keep up with us on the website, newleafnetwork.ca. Um, we would love to connect with you there. Uh, check out our event page. We're always on the move. Uh, we would love to uh, see you face to face. So keep up with the events page. Sign up for our newsletter. We send it out a couple of times, maybe every few months, I suppose. Just trying to keep people updated of what's going on and follow us on social media. Also subscribe to the podcast if uh, you haven't already because then you'll be able to catch the latest episode. And if you like what you're hearing, we would love for you to review the podcast. Mm -hmm. Or even if you don't like what you're hearing, we'll Just even take it. a... Yep. Yeah, we'll take either one. Mm -hmm. um, but we would love to hear from people. Uh, let us know if there's someone that is doing good work in the neighborhood that you would like us to highlight. Um, we would love to share their stories on the podcast as we think through mission and what it means to uh, love and care for our neighborhoods um, here in Canada. So reach out to us. We would love to connect with you. All right, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.